Happy New Year, 2019. Are you used to writing it yet? I'm not. Screwed it up a few times. We'll get there. You know, as I often do uh, around Christmas and New Year's, I watch some football. Maybe a little more than I should. But I was watching a game the other day, and I was watching Notre Dame versus Clemson, which was really not a great game. But um, Coach Brian Kelly of Notre Dame, I, I love to just watch games where he's coaching just to see how he'll react to situations. Maybe that's wrong of me. I don't know, but I enjoy it. So, but I was really intrigued by his reaction the other day because I remember a game in 2011 and several games since then where he just freaked out. Okay, so, but there was this particular one in 2011 where he turned purple. Okay, now I'm not going to show the clip of that because let's just say you could make out what he's saying and it wouldn't be appropriate for church. But here he is. Uh, can we take the lights down so you can get the purple effect? I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. So beyond red, you know, no, you know, they say you're red hot and you're mad. No, this guy is purple. Okay, you can, you can bring him back up. So that was him in 2011. He's known for this. But instead, the other day, I saw a different reaction from B- Coach Brian Kelly. And so I'm going to show you the video of this one. Um, his reaction, just to set this up a little bit, is, is in the reaction to a call that the refs made that didn't go his team's way. So I'm expecting Purple Brian Kelly, but instead I saw this. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know Brian Kelly's heart, right? I don't know what's going on inside of him. But I do know this. I do know that extreme anger is often the sign of pride. And self-control, like he just exercised there, is often a sign of humility. And here's what's true. The instinctive response to an unexpected situation often reveals the condition of a person's heart. I was really struck by that this week. We're in Acts 12, and you can start to go there. But I was in looking at my study Bible, my ESV study Bible, and it said that. It said, the instinctive response to an unexpected situation often reveals the condition of a person's heart. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 12, when we look deeper beyond what actually happens, beyond the circumstances, that... Their hearts and their motives are this. Peter and the Christians, the the church, have humble hearts. But King Herod has a really prideful heart. And Peter, later in his life, wrote in 1 Peter 5.5 that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so we're going to see throughout chapter 12 that God is opposing proud Herod, but God is giving grace to humble Peter and the humble church. So, let's dive into chapter 12, starting in verse 1. About that time, 
Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squadrons of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So verses 1 through 4, we see that proud Herod is doing what? He's persecuting. Who's Herod? Who's Herod? Herod, it was also known as Herod Agrippa I, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great. Who cares? Why does that matter? Herod the Great was the Herod that was around at the time of Jesus' birth. So, as often happens, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and we have his grandson still persecuting Jesus, and in this case, persecuting Christ's followers, right? And he's also a Roman ruler, this Herod Agrippa I, the Herod in this passage, and he's essentially over all modern-day Israel, that part of the Roman Empire at the time. And we see in this passage that he killed, the, he was the first one to martyr, kill for their faith, one of the twelve disciples, and that was James, John's brother. Not to be confused with James, the half-brother of Jesus who, broke, who wrote the book of James. But why was he doing this? We know, we see in here, from verse 3, that he did it because he saw that it pleased the Jews. So he liked being liked by the Jewish leaders. But at the heart of it, it was because he's prideful. Now what's pride? I've already used that word a few times. What am I talking about? Pride is contending for supremacy with God. Contending for supremacy with God. You're going, I'm in control, God, not you. You may not actually say those words. May not be intentional, but unintentionally, often we're shaking our fist at God, and that is pride. My way is better than yours, God. I know what's best. We do this every time we disobey what God says. We're prideful because we're saying, My way is better than yours, God. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's, that's Herod. And his heart condition was manifested in many different ways. In verses 1 to 2, you see he, he, he's full of violence and he murders people. In verse 3, he's a people pleaser. In verse 4, he does a power play. He puts Peter, the leader of the church at the time, in jail. All of it is to contend for supremacy with God. I am great. I am in control. I'm the center of my own universe. And I'm worthy of all attention and all honor. Not you, God. That's what he does by doing those things. Whether he thought those things or not, that's what he was doing. And that's what we do when we are prideful. See, the instinctive response to an unexpected situation reveals the condition of a person's heart. And this unexpected situation of Christians gaining momentum in the church makes Herod's prideful heart just come out in insane ways. And he's contending with God. Moving on to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Here's the humble church. What do they do? They pray. Now, what's humility? I've also used that word a few times. Humility, I think humility could be defined in lots of different ways. It's kind of a complex uh, subject, so I don't want to oversimplify it. But I think a good like, definition of humility in action is just submitting to God. Your will be done, not my will, God. 
You know what's best. I choose to obey you today because I submit to you. Versus contending with God, which is pride. See, the church here, they should be devastated and defeated. A bunch of people just got killed. We saw that in chapter 11. We saw that here today. A bunch of people who are following Jesus were being killed for following Jesus. And they should be devastated and they should be defeated. And I'm certain that they were still mourning the loss of their friends and their family members. However, they realize that God's in control. And they go, you know what? We trust you, God. We don't trust ourselves in this situation And we're not going to be defeated. And they do the most practical act of humility that you can do. And that's prayer. Earnest prayer, it says. Pastor Ray Stedman said this, Prayer is the most perfect expression of faith because prayer is the manifestation of dependence on God. I love that. I have that above my desk to remind me to pray because it, it, it humbles me. It humbles us. And that's what the church does. They're hurting. They're broken. They're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe literally brothers and sisters for some of them just got killed for following Jesus. But they fight against what their feelings tell them and believe in faith that we trust you, God, and we are going to pray. And we're going to pray that you move in this situation with earnest prayer. Now, what's earnest prayer? Earnest prayer is different than regular p- prayer. In, in the original language, the Greek in, in the New Testament It combines the concepts of perseverance and intensity. Perseverance and intensity. So perseverance is is discipline. They're like, we're not going to stop praying until Peter's released from prison or you do something here, God. We're committed to praying for Peter's release from prison. We're not going to be swayed by these circumstances. We're going to be swayed by what happens or doesn't happen. We're going to keep praying. We're dependent. We need you, God. So it's this perseverance, but it's also this intensity, this emotion. They're passionate. They're like, God, we need you to move right now. We need you to do something, God. There's urgency. There's desperation. This is out of our control. We need you to move right now, God. That's earnest prayer. And so I want to propose... Three different New Year's resolutions to you. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. That's great if you are. I hope they go well for you. But I want to propose three of them throughout this message this morning. And the first one I want to propose is this. Pursue humility through earnest prayer. In 2019, pursue humility through earnest prayer. I think this is one of the best resolutions you could have in 2019. And I don't just think that. God thinks that. The Bible's full of people praying and commands to pray. Pray without ceasing, we see in the New Testament. So be persistent. Be disciplined in your prayer. I mean, what would it look like? Think for a minute. What would it look like to be more disciplined in prayer in 2019? Maybe there's a person that you just want to be praying for every day. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe, maybe it's a situation. Or maybe it's a, a, um, a circumstance that you're in where you know you tend to react sinfully. And you just want to be done with that. So I'm going to pray for that every day at this time. That God, you would change me from the inside out in 2019. What would that look like? When would you do it? 
And then be insistent. Be emotional. What would it look like to be more passionate in your prayer life in 2019? So you're not just saying words, but you mean what you're saying. You're crying out to God like the psalmists do over and over again. Like the church certainly did here for Peter's release. So let's keep moving in the text. Let's go to verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he immediately woke up. No, he didn't. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. I just want to stop there. You're about to be killed and you have to be nudged, even though the presence of God through this angel is being shown on your face. Every time that happens, almost every other time that happens in the Bible, people are just immediately on their knees in fear. Peter keeps sleeping. More on that in a second. But um, that, that's just incredible to me. So where were we? He was sleeping. Get up quickly, he says. And the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. But when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So here we see that God gives his grace to the humble. And he's giving his grace to humble Peter. God's angel breaks Peter out of jail. Which is, which is incredible. We could do a whole, we could spend the rest of our time talking about the, the miracles that are happening here. But think about the grace behind it. Peter would have been publicly killed the next day. Grace is undeserved favor, it's an undeserved gift. Think about Christmas. If you got a gift from someone that you just totally didn't deserve it from, that's grace. Now, you would think, well, doesn't Peter deserve that in this situation? No. Think about James, one of the other disciples. He wasn't rescued. He was killed for following Jesus, for God's own purposes that God only knew. But here, God shows His grace by breaking him out in a really miraculous way. Did you see how, how, how guarded he was? He had all these guards around him, and he was bound and chained. And there was an iron gate. I mean, this guy was locked up. But God shows His grace to them. And it's in response to the prayers of the church. And so God acted. He heard their desperate prayers. Their earnest prayers. And acted. Now we've noted in the past that Peter wasn't always a humble dude. I mean, he certainly wasn't always a humble dude. He, he rebuked Jesus for talking about how he was going to go die on a cross. No, Jesus, don't talk about that. He attacked soldiers for arresting Jesus. He boasted he would never deny Jesus and then did it three times. But Peter's changed. And he's humble here. 
Now you're like, how is he humble here? This is, he's just a victim in this situation. Well, let's back up. Let's look at other chapters. In, in chapter 9, verse 34, he's, he's talking to a guy and he says, Jesus, heal you. He doesn't go, I heal you now in the name of Jesus, which would be fine to say, I think. But he just goes, no, Jesus, you heal him. He doesn't want the credit. He doesn't want to steal the glory. His heart's changed. He's humble. Chapter 10, 25-26, he's talking to Cornelius, right? And Cornelius is like, oh wow, you're here to tell us about Jesus. I praise you. And he's like, no, stand up. I'm just a man. And then in eleven seventeen, he says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's like, who, I, who am I? I'm not going to stand in God's way. And he proves time and time again that his heart, the core of him, is now humble. Why? What changed? It's what we just sang about. Christ now lives in him. The Holy Spirit now lives within him. He has a new heart. Peter receives a humble heart by God graciously giving him the Spirit. Now let's talk about him sleeping. I hinted at this earlier. But in verse 6 and 7, he was sleeping. Think about this. Prideful Peter would have been arguing with God all night. Prideful Peter would have been anxiously worrying about what was going to happen in the morning all night. Prideful Peter would have given up on God. God, whatever. You put me in prison. I'm done with you, God. But instead, humble Peter trusts God to, point, to the point of being able to sleep. I mean, talk about REM sleep, okay? Think about this. Like I said, the glory of God, the, the light of God is shown on him and he's just, until he gets nudged. Oh yeah, angel, okay, cool, let's go. And then even then he thinks he's in a dream until he, he's out of prison and the angel's gone. He's like, oh, that was real. All right, let's go. This is awesome. I mean, can you imagine the the calm and the peace that this guy had. I I can't imagine having that. I'm not a super anxious person myself, but I can't imagine not being super anxious here, and he's not. He's able to sleep. And it's because his heart was humble. He trusted God. And God gives grace to humble Peter and miraculously rescues him from prison as a result of the church's earnest prayer and his humble heart and humble actions. So here's the second New Year's resolution I want to propose to you. Oh, so I'm sorry. We're not there yet. We'll get there in a little bit. Let's keep reading the text. Let's go to, let's see what happens next. Verse 12. Peter, when he realized this, we realized that this wasn't a dream. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, na- whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is the earnest prayer of the church. Verse 13, And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's an angel. It's just his angel. Here, God gives grace to the humble church. He gave grace to Peter, and now he's giving grace to his humble church. And specifically gives grace to Rhoda. Now, who's Rhoda? 
Why is her name even mentioned here? She seems rather insignificant. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't even get a name. And he, he had lots of dialogue and it was pretty significant. But the servant girl gets a name. Well, I think it's because of her childlike faith. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Rhoda. She had four strikes against her, at least at that time, in that culture, in that setting. First, Rhoda is a Greek name that means rose. And if she had a Greek name, it means she was a foreigner. She was not Jewish. Strike one. Strike two, she's a servant. This is like a slave. She's not exactly in high standing in society by anyone's uh, uh, opinion. And then she's a female. This was a patriarchal society. Women were not highly valued, and that was not right, but that's how things were. Strike four, she was young, she was a girl. We don't know her age, but young people were not viewed as very credible either. So four-strike Rhoda ends up being the shining rose, as her name says, of humility. She's the shining rose of humility. Did you catch it? She goes to the door. Peter's knocking the door. She goes to the door, and she just hears Peter's voice. Okay, so pretend Peter's at that door back there, and you run up to the door, and you hear, oh, that's Peter. That's definitely Peter. Say it's your friend. Oh, that's definitely my friend. I'm going to go tell everyone. Okay? Problem is, let's say there's a lock on that door. She forgot to unlock the door, so Peter's still left there at the door, kind of awkwardly like, you going to let me in or what? Come on. Right? I want to see you guys. But she does it. In her joy. See, she's immediately convinced that this is Peter. She hasn't even seen him yet. But she undoubtedly is also earnestly praying that this would happen. She's with the believer. She's a servant girl. Yes, but she's engaged. They've been praying all night. She's like, yes, this happened. She has childlike faith. Imagine, imagine, you know, you're, you're a guy and you're going to propose. And so you start to get down on one knee and she, before you even get the ring box out, she's like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's, that's like what's going on here. Okay. That's the type of situation. Rhoda's like, she hasn't even seen the dude. Okay. I haven't seen, seen the ring yet. And she's just like, yes, he's here. I'm excited. Childlike faith. Verse 14, she's excited from the moment she hears his voice. Verse 15, she's insistent that this was Peter. Even when she's told, you're a crazy lady. I mean, that's essentially what she's told here. You're a crazy lady. You're insane. But she's like, no, Peter is here. This is what we've been praying for. She's insistent even when they tried to explain it away rationally. And it doesn't sound rationally to us because they say, oh, it's just his guardian angel. It doesn't sound very rational. But to them it was. That was a common Jewish belief that every person had a guardian angel. So like, yeah, it's probably just his guardian angel. It's not really him. But as children often do, when they're convinced of something, they go, no, I definitely drank my milk i drank it i did not pour down the drain i definitely drank it just like children do and let's just say the child is actually right they actually did that they're not lying okay which is often the case with my kids but um not lying this is true they're insistent on it and that's what rhoda is like see rhoda is a shining example to this church and to us 
of someone who is humble, who has childlike faith, who's like, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, and I'm going to believe it when you act, even when I haven't seen it. When I just have a hint of it, I believe that this is you working, God. I think we have some modern day rotas in our church. I was thinking even just this morning, you remember um, Mackenzie Lambert up here, you know, she's about to get baptized and she's going, she's going, hey, you all need to believe in Jesus too. Okay, the morning where it's like, this is supposed to be about her and getting baptized. And, and she's like, no, I want you all to do this as well. It's childlike faith. I'm, I'm insistent. I'm going to go for it. You have Riley Graydon up here. I, I just say these gals because they're young. And, they're, and I don't mean to embarrass you all, but she's up here confidently leading a worship song at her age. I mean, this speaks something to, to age as well. Like, don't, don't think God can't use you in significant ways because of your age. God's grace here is shown to a humble church through a servant girl. Now, these people in this church certainly had humble hearts. They were praying all night. They, they were humble. But like everyone, including me, including everyone in this room, we have room to grow in our humility. So this is grace because God causes the church to flourish anyway. You know, if, if I was God, thankfully I'm not, but if I was God at this point, I would be like, you know what? You've been praying all night that this would happen, and now I caused it to happen. I miraculously delivered Peter from prison, and now you're like, you're like denying it? Yeah, whatever. Peter's not actually here. It's his guardian angel. I'd be like, all right, whatever. You guys can do it on your own for a little while. But instead, verse 24 says that the word of God increased and multiplied because God saw their hearts. They saw that at their core. They had humble, changed hearts. And it's a process. And it's messy in the process. And God has grace for people who are humble. Looking forward at verse 16. But Peter continued knocking there he is still at the door and when they opened they saw him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the lord had brought him out of the prison and he said tell these things to james and to the brothers then he departed and went to another place so first it's rather ironic and ridiculous that the very people that were pray, praying for this to happen were amazed when it happened that's just ridiculous But Peter recognizes he's got a captive audience. Now here's what he could have done. He could have been like most sports players when they're interviewed after a game. Interview the star player and what are they going to talk about? Oh yeah, man, I scored that touchdown, did that touchdown dance and it was awesome. You know? You interview the coach and they're like, oh yeah, it was a team effort. Really liked how our defense stepped up. We did a great job with, with, uh, with our coaching staff. Like they're going to focus on the team, on the big picture. The players just going to be focused on themselves most of the time. And Peter could have just highlighted everything that just happened with him being delivered from prison by highlighting himself. We all tend to do that when we tell stories. 
We all tend to just highlight ourselves and make ourselves look a little better than we actually were. But instead, Peter's like, no, no, you know what? The Lord did this. He deflects the glory. This was all him. He says that. The Lord brought me out of prison. See, Peter understood that every good thing is God's. Every good thing is God's. Every experience, every possession, every opportunity, every relationship, every talent, every gift, every success, all is a blessing made possible by God. So he's quick to deflect praise and focus on him. So now I have the second New Year's resolution for you, and that's to kill pride by deflecting praise. Kill pride by deflecting praise. That's what Peter did. He deflected praise. Are you quick to deflect praise to God in your day-to-day life? So an example, if, if someone tells you, hey, you did a great job at this or a great job at that, say thank you. God has really blessed me with this ability. Something like that, where you're saying thank you so much, but, but God made this possible. All praise to Him. When you help someone out, when you pray for someone, when you help people who need it, are you quick to tell other people, hey, I just helped someone out. Look what I did. Or are you quick to just be hush-hush about it? Because when you're hush-hush about it, you know that God gave you that idea to even help that person and then the ability to carry it out. In any situation this year, ask this, will people walk away thinking more highly of God or of me in this situation? Kill pride by deflecting praise. Now, let's pick it up with proud Herod in verse 18. Now when day came, There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of a man. So we see that proud Herod is first angry. He's very angry. Verse 19, his instinctive response was to kill these guards. Now it was customary to kill guards in a situation like this, where they... Under their watch, someone got free. However, it was still Herod's decision. And he chose to kill them. Verse 20, it builds. All it says is he was angry. He was angry with Tyre and Sidon. We're not sure why, but we see a pattern here that's starting to reveal his heart. He's an angry man, and he's also very arrogant. In contrast to the church... In chapter 11 and in chapter 12, he's very arrogant. See, in chapter 11, 27 to 30, which Shane did a great job with last week. You need to go back and listen to it if you missed it. But the humble church responds to a food shortage by meeting that need. There's a food shortage. We're going to help you out. No bribes, no strong arming, just humbly generous. 
prideful Herod responds to Tyre and Sidon's food shortage by arrogantly inviting and receiving godlike flattery. Did you catch that? These are people who just wanted help getting food on their tables. You're the king, man. You're, you should, you should have, if people can't get food on their tables, you should, you should do something here, right? But instead, he makes them worship him as God. Verse 22 in the New Living Translation makes it a little more clear. It says, the people gave him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of God, not of a man. They're doing this so they can get food from him. They're flattering him by calling him God and he receives it. He's like, yeah, that's right. He's literally contending with God. Herod's heart is arrogant and angry. And God opposes arrogant, angry, prideful Herod. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Fun way to end, huh? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God hates glory stealers. He's all about his own glory. Why? Because he's only one worthy of it. And God actively opposes proud hearts. Here it was death. And I'm not saying this to put unnecessary fear into your mind. For true believers in Jesus, you don't need to have that fear. You don't need to be a slave to fear. You're a child of God. But, but it should be a wake-up call to everyone to see how big of a deal pride is to God. God will not put up with being contended with. And who are we to think that we can even contend with Him? So the last New Year's resolution I want to propose to you is this. Be grateful for God's grace in the process. Remember the church? The church that was earnestly praying for Peter's release didn't believe it when it happened. But God had grace for them in the process. And isn't that you? Isn't that me? There's grace for us who genuinely believe and follow Jesus because God gives grace to hearts that are submitted to Him. Here's the thing, Jesus did not humble himself by being born, living, dying, and rising from the dead because he thought we would then become perfectly humble, prayerful, praise deflectors. He did all of that because he knew that we would not and could not be truly humble, prayerful, praise deflectors without his humbling, transforming grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. May 2019 be marked by humility for all of us. Let's pray.